0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... You would like to see an African continent that is not exploited, an
1: African continent that is thriving, that its leaders are doing their their utmost to improve the lives of their people.
0: That's Father Paul Samsumo, head of the Vatican News Service, on the Pope's wish for Africa on his current tour. Details coming up. Also, the leaders of Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya and Somalia meet in Mogadishu to discuss the ongoing fight against Al-Shabaab militants. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Chad will open an embassy in Israel today. And Equatorial Guinea names its first female prime minister. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Pope Francis today presided at an open air mass before more than a million people in Kinshasa and urged the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo to seek peace. The Eastern DRC has long been wrecked by conflict with more than 100 militant groups operating in the region. For you, in his sermon, the Pope says God tells Christians to lay down their arms and embrace mercy. Francis says Christians should not be afraid to take the crucifix between their hands and give Jesus a chance to heal their hearts. And he says it is beautiful thing for people to open their hearts and homes to peace. He encourages his audience to write the words, Peace by with you, on their homes, saying, displaying those words will be a prophetic statement to their country. Shortly after his arrival in Kinshasa yesterday, Pope Francis plunged headfirst into his agenda, denouncing the centuries-long exploitation of Africa by colonial powers, today's multinational extraction industries, and the neighboring countries interfering in DRC's affairs that has led to a surge in fighting in the East. The Pope says the poison of greed has smeared the Congo's diamonds with blood and that economically more advanced countries often close their eyes to that. Francis says this country and this continent deserves to be respected and listened to. They deserve to find space and receive attention. To applause, he says, hands off the Democratic Republic of the Congo, hands off Africa while in the drc he will meet with government officials members of the church and survivors of violence however the pope who has health issues that limit his ability to walk will not visit the violence-racked east on friday he travels to south sudan so as reported pope francis aims to bring a message of peace to country to two countries in africa that are riddled with poverty and conflict As you heard, he now is in the DRC and will head to South Sudan on Friday. Father Paul Samsumo is the head of the Vatican News English Service as well as Vice President of the World Catholic Association for Communication and Media Professionals. In talking to me, he says that the Pope intends to shine a spotlight on the DRC and rekindle international attention on South Sudan, which he holds dear to his heart.
1: First of all, I think this is the fulfillment of a visit that Pope Francis has wanted to make for a long time. In fact, last year in July, he was to have made this trip, but uh, due to health reasons, he had to postpone. And uh, in view of that visit, he organized the mass here in the Vatican with the Congolese community in Rome. And uh, he told them, he assured them that he intended to make the visit and it was important to to him. And during that mass, there was a religious nun who spoke about the situation there, particularly in the eastern region of Congo. That area of Bukabu, Goma, where there are all these militants that have been creating a lot of pain and suffering for for the people there for many, many years. And uh, he has been concerned about that, Pope Francis, about the killings and also the fact that um, he is against the exploitation of Africa, the colonial kind of mentality that was there during the colonial era. So he is also going there, I think, not just to denounce the violence, but also as a pastor, we're going to console the people.
0: The second leg of Francis's trip will bring him to South Sudan, the world's youngest country, where continued fighting has hampered implementation of a 20 18 peace deal to end the civil war.
1: In fact, I think Pope Francis, this second leg of his visit to South Sudan, he holds it dear to his heart. With the 2013 war, civil war that started in South Sudan, you know, after um, their independence in 2011, only three years, they they found themselves in a crisis. It is actually like a continuation when Pope Francis invited. All these leaders, I think that was in 2018, if my memory serves me correct, April 2018 or March, he invited the the warring leaders in South Sudan to the Vatican. And he had kind of a prayerful session with a Mary retreat uh, with them in, camp- in, in, in the presence of the South Sudanese Council of Churches, which encompasses not only Catholics, but also other leaders, other Christian Uh, leaders of the the Pentecostals, the Evangelicals, the Presbyterians, the Anglicans, and so forth. So they were there, and they spent a few days in the Vatican praying together. And uh, he was really trying to encourage them. To work together for once and kind of stop the war. I, I spoke with one of the bishops of Tomrayambia recently, Bishop Hiborokusala, and he was speaking to me about how complex it is to implement, and now they've had to extend it. It, it is a complex society as well, but I was struck by one thing that uh, this bishop said to me that. Um, Much as it is a civil war, it is more really some individuals perhaps in a power struggle and uh, everybody brings in their tribe as a result. And um, it is an ethnic conflict, but at the same time, perhaps more of a power struggle among certain individuals in the political scene there. And uh, this has been protracted. And now we have all these vice presidents that are trying to work together with the help of the international community, and I think the Church is trying to do its bit.
0: and finally, Father, this trip the Pope is taking to Africa now is the fifth to the African continent in his ten years of pontification, as Francis seeks to make his mark on reshaping the church
1: Most interesting, as you have said, for Francis, he has gone to, he has not gone to the big Catholic countries, perhaps Congo will be the first time that he's doing. But if you look at his previous visits, they have been to the Central African Republic, places that are troubled. What I would say myself is that uh, he goes to the periphery where the church is bandaging those who are wounded, those who are suffering. He would like to see an African continent that is not exploited, an African continent that is thriving, that his leaders are doing their, their utmost to improve the lives of their people. Migration has also been one of the hallmarks that he has been dealing with and a lot of young people leaving Africa, coming to Europe in search for, some of them are running from conflict like what has been happening in South Sudan, some of them are running from just, there is nothing back home. So They're trying to make a living and Pope Francis I think would like to encourage better life for many Africans, not just Catholics but uh, Africans in general.
0: Father Paul Samsumon is the head of the Vatican News English Service as well as vice president of the World Catholic Association for Communication and Media Professionals. He spoke to me from Rome. The past year saw little progress in tackling global corruption due to greater violence and insecurity according to the organization Transparency International. Their annual index measures citizens' perceptions of the level of corruption. As Henry Ridgwell reports, there are some encouraging signs that corruption is being successfully tackled
2: in Africa. For the sixth year running, South Sudan, Syria and Somalia are at the bottom of Transparency International's Corruption Perception Index. The report says conflict and corruption create a vicious cycle. Roberto Kukuchka is from Transparency International.
3: Having weak and corrupt uh, police and defence sectors, including also here uh, other law enforcement organisations or institutions such as the courts or the judiciary itself, um, it is very unlikely that we will be able to, um, to tackle uh, organised crime or yeah, the, the, the effects of organised crime and, and uh, terrorism.
2: The report says Russia's invasion of Ukraine last February exemplifies the threat that corruption poses for global security. The authors say Russian oligarchs have amassed fortunes by pledging loyalty to President Vladimir Putin, who operates with impunity in the absence of any checks on power. Transparency International says perceived corruption worsened in Brazil under former President Jair Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro's supporters attacked the Parliament, Supreme Court and Presidential Palace following his election loss in January. Again, Roberto Kukuchka. It
3: is much easier for corruption to occur when these checks and balances are weaker. That's why one of our main recommendations uh, this year and also in the past has been to really focus on establishing very clear uh, separation of powers uh, across the you know the, the, the judiciary the the legislature and the executive whenever we have those three branches of power
2: the index ranks 180 countries by the perceived level of corruption using data from 13 external sources including the world bank denmark finland and norway top the index But several European countries are at historic lows, including Britain, which has slipped 10 places in the past five years following a series of political scandals. Some African nations have made significant progress, including Angola, Ivory Coast, Ethiopia and Senegal. Again, Roberto Kukutschka of Transparency International.
3: Seven of the 24 countries that we see improving Uh, are actually in Africa. So this is one of the regions that is stuck at the bottom of the index, but where we also see um, progress happening.
2: Transparency International said governments must do more to tackle corruption by reinforcing checks and balances on power and upholding rights to information. Henry Ridgewell for VUA News, London. Belarus President Alexander
0: Lukashenko, who is in Zimbabwe for a three-day visit, says sanctions by the West have not harmed either country. He says both countries should take the opportunity to develop their economies using their natural resources. Rutendo Mawere reports from Harare.
4: Lukashenko offered his view of Western sanctions on Zimbabwe at a media briefing held at State
5: House Tuesday. It was because of the decision of your country to take control over your natural resources that the Western countries, including the United States, imposed the sanctions on Zimbabwe.
4: Lukashenko said, because of the penalties, Belarus is now benefiting from Zimbabwe's
5: natural resources. imposition of sanctions uh, on Belarus and Zimbabwe was not just a curse, but also a blessing, because... Uh, If not for the sanctions, maybe Zimbabwe would continue trading with the West, selling its natural resources. But now, because of the sanctions, Zimbabwe is trading with Belarus, and we are happy to trade with Zimbabwe.
4: Lukashenko says sanctions on Belarus for supporting Russia in its invasion of
5: Ukraine have had no effect. Uh, The United States is not the only country of the world... There are uh, around more than uh, 200 states ready to cooperate with Belarus and we are ready to cooperate with
2: them.
4: Speaking at the briefing Tuesday, Zimbabwe President Emerson Munangagwa said Harare is strengthening and deepening its ties with Belarus. He said Harare has bought tractors, combined harvesters, and other agricultural equipment from Belarus as part of a farm mechanization project to restore food security.
6: The two countries are victims of sanctions from the West. We now wish to further this cooperation to extend
5: to other aspects of the economy, like our mining sector
1: and our uh, tourism.
4: The United States and the European Union maintain sanctions against officials of the ruling PF and their cronies are for human rights abuses and autocratic tendencies, including the suppression of dissent and a lack of free and fair elections. However, Munangagwa said, Zimbabwe was a democracy.
5: Every five years, we have Or and the ruling party, Zampier, has been winning all elections.
6: We shall continue be
4: Belarus says, despite the fallout caused by the Ukraine invasion, including inflation, and r- Belarus says, despite the fallout caused by the Ukraine invasion, including inflation and a drop in grain exports to Africa, it will continue rendering assistance to Russia. While opposition leaders in the country warn the ZNPF government of cooperating with a country like Belarus that openly supports Russia's invasion, Munangagwa declared that Harare will seek relations with all friendly nations. Reporting for VOA Africa, this is Rutendo Mawere Narare.
0: You're listening to African News Tonight on the Voice of America. The French news agency AFP says Equatorial Guinea has named its first female prime minister, Manuela Roca Boti, who was named by President Teodoro Obiang Nguema, has been the Minister for National Education, University Education and Sports since 2020. She was also the Vice-Dean of the Faculty of Letters and Social Sciences at the National University of Equatorial Guinea. Boti replaces Francois Pasqua Obama, who was Prime Minister for nearly eight years. Authorities say her appointment proves the government's commitment to gender equality. A recent report by the organization Surfshark found that nearly a third of billions of Africans were affected by internet shutdowns in 2022. The internet tracking organization found that more than half of the world's population was affected by internet censorship last year. Sudan has four internet shutdowns the most of any African country. Joseph Sani, vice president of the Africa Center at the United States Institute of Peace, tells VOA's Carol Van Dam, Sudan's military rulers tried to block the Sudanese people's right to free speech during mass protests.
5: The, the military came down very heavily, frankly, against the, the protesters. And they have used all kinds of oppressive means to stop the protest, including internet shutdowns. Things are changing, hopefully, uh, in resolving the political tension and the political um, finding ways for a transition to civilian power, in fact. But before that, the regime used oppressive tactics, uh, such as shutdown, harassing oppositions, particularly uh, citizen groups. But the reality, though, Carol, is that those shutdowns have a negative effect on the civic space. But most importantly, they had economic consequences. By the latest estimate, I think Sudan is losing about, just in 2019, Sudan lost about $1.9 billion.
4: So the tactic kind of backfired on the, the military rulers in Sudan.
5: Yes, definitely. Because when, so there is a political cost. Of course, uh, you may disrupt. What the shutdown will do, the shutdown will disrupt protest. It doesn't mean that they will
3: stop protest,
5: because protests will be dispersed. So now they will pop in in different areas of the city and the, the, the security forces will be forced to stretch themselves thin and, of course, resume violent tactics.
4: But the purpose of the shutdown, of course, the government did not want those people to talk to each other and, and organize, right?
5: Oh, definitely. I mean, that's the, that's the purpose of the shutdown. I mean, the intended purpose of the shutdown. Gen- the intended purpose of the shutdown is to stop protests, uh, try to prevent people from organizing, from exercising their right to express themselves or their disagreement. That's the intended purpose of the protest. Also, not, it's not just about civic, civic rights. It is also sometimes, not in Sudan, but in other places, other countries, the government will use protests to organize massive electoral fraud. If you have the results are online, people can share the initial uh, precinct results. So people will be uh, be aware and well informed what's going on in different precincts.
4: So looking ahead at 2023, how do you think we still don't have a a permanent government? How do you think it's going to play out this year as far as when protests happen, if they happen? Is the military rulership going to, you know, turn back to their same tactics?
5: I think there has been progress, there have been some progress in the political arrangements. So are, there is a, an agreement, or a framework, it's quite it's encouraging. And so we hope that uh, through this framework we will see less of political tension, we will see a progress in the political space.
0: That is Joseph Sani, Vice President of the Africa Center at the U.S. Institute of Peace. He was speaking to my colleague Carol Van Dam in Washington. (music) South Africa's major cities are running dry and city fathers are extremely worried as the problem adds to already devastating daily power cuts. Residents are now resorting to buying water with poor citizens swarming water tankers supplied by the authorities. As Tusokumalo reports from Johannesburg, there are now fears that this could have a follow-up effect on the already ailing economy that is highly dependent on the commercial activities of these cities. Residents of Gwangangulosi
6: community in Durban are the latest community to barricade roads with stones and burning tires in protest against water shortages. Taps have run dry in some parts of the city, a popular tourist site. Schools have to close while businesses like car washes, restaurants and saloons have ground to a halt. In the capital city of Pretoria, now called Tswane, it is now a common sight seeing residents with gallons and buckets in hand jostling for water around mobile water tanks. The mayoral committee member of the city of Tswane responsible for utilities, Daryl Johnson told a group of journalists that the shortage is a big blow to the city.
3: We've been struggling with with reservoirs across the length and breadth of the city and uh, the issue is obviously to do with the rainwater's restriction or limitation of flow on the water meters in the city of Twani. Uh, But there are also problems seemingly within their system and very low levels within their system at their key reservoirs.
6: Johannesburg, the country's commercial hub, has not been spared. The city's department of water spokesperson, Buleng Mopeli, told the media that many residents are affected. Let's say tens of thousands, because when we look at our systems, we have about 11 systems that are affected at the moment. City fathers are now scratching their heads for solutions. Some say the cause of the problem are constant power cuts needed to drive water pumps. The current heat wave hitting the country is making the problem worse by eating up water reservoirs. Meanwhile, citizens in the cities and across the country continue to spend many hours a day without electricity. Many are losing jobs and livelihoods. Johannesburg resident Tandizwane told VOA that they are barely surviving. This is very bad. You open the tapes, there is no water, you try to cook, there is no electricity, you are going to work, no traffic light, you are stuck on the traffic, what is this? Can somebody wake up please? The government is now planning to declare the power cut a national disaster so the government can provide emergency financial relief needed to end the crisis. Tusukumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg.
0: And with that, we wrap up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm um, Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24 7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barro, and our engineer, Patrick Dea, thanks for choosing.